Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Can I can I tell you guys something off the record? <laughs> this yeah. yeah. Off the record. This cannot so be in cool. this cannot be in the show. Yeah. I'm serious. This will not be in the show. It won't be. Just tell me. Okay. I'll get in big fucking trouble. No, we totally won't. We would never do that. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. I don't know why every time I do that my arm goes up. It's the strangest thing, but it is still your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle people to make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Jeremy Foster. Basil this Fawlty. is going to be remarkable. I promise. I guarantee it. This day of days. Matt Welch, Reason Magazine, editor at large, Michael Moynihan, Vice mm. News. I mean, I, I can't even. We got Katie Herzog on the podcast. Katie Kirk. Katie Herzog. Katie Kurzog. Katie Kirk. You can call me whatever you want. Katie Herzog <laughs> <laughs> of the Blocked and Reported podcast. I thought she was the co-host of that fine podcast. Nope. Apparently, she's the sole host of that podcast. Yeah, I have which an assistant. Is remarkable. I do. I, oh, I do have an assistant. Yeah. His name's Jesse Single. Yes, you might have heard we've of heard him. of that gentleman. Yes, I think right. he's been on the podcast before. Yeah, he's I, a transphobe. I, 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 yeah, I skipped those episodes because I don't listen to transphobes. Um, <laughs> so I'll, also, I'll also be yeah. skipping mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Jesse assists me in the production uh, and the, he sometimes does some talking on the show as well. Sometimes he's even interesting and smart and funny. <sighs> sometimes, sometimes. Uh, not on Twitter though. Um, which one of you is a turf? I don't know what that means, but, uh, but is it both of you or just one of you? Okay. So people claim that I'm a turf. Trans exclusory radical feminist and Jesse's a chaser. I assume that you know what oh, chasers chasing. are. No. I, I don't know what a chaser is. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Okay. So the lesbian is the turf. The trans exclusionary ra- radical You're a feminist. Lesbian? Shockingly, yes. So I didn't know that. I know nobody can tell. You can't <laughs> tell you from, my, from my appearance, my voice. <laughs> no. And yeah. then uh, a the chaser. Indigo girls t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the indigo girls tat- <laughs> tattoo. Um, and uh, and Jesse, so a chaser is a is a heterosexual quote unquote male who uh, pursues trans women. So Jesse, as oh. a straight man, gets accused of being a chaser. The irony is Jesse's the turf and I'm the chaser. Mm. Huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People just don't get it. They just rely on these stereotypes. Because don't you have to be an earth? <laughs> don't you have to be a radical? Fa- you don't strike me as a radical. Fa- Katie, I've been reading your stuff for a long time. I never be like, oh, my God, she's such a radical feminist. I'm not. A, I'm not trans exclusionary and I'm not a, a feminist even. So I guess I'm just radical. Yeah. You're just. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Well, I mean, that's not Thank that's you. not a bad thing. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. I Thank also you. am a radical. Extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. That's what okay. that's what I always say. I'm yeah. famous that. for saying Any, that. Anyone else say that? Nope. Before no one you? ever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Has everybody seen Coming to America too? Yes. Has everyone, I have has everyone seen no. it? I saw the um, first half until I fell asleep. It's pretty. I still awful. haven't seen the first one. Well, that oh, is because I you're wish... racist. That is yep. the only reason you wouldn't have seen that piece of Correct. classic cinema. So, so I don't have my. Where's my phone? I wish I had my phone because I started making notes because I'm an insane person about and coming I haven't to seen America. The movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't oh. seen the movie. The lights are going off here. That's this, by the way, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like we're it's literally fine. doing this from like Kabul. It's <laughs> the lights I don't think start to fall, fall <laughs> down it's, it's, around it's you. Light waterboarding. Like a, uh, a, a mortar room. round just hit like two blocks away. <laughs> um, no, I started making notes for a movie I haven't seen because every this is to the larger point that we often talk about the politicization yeah. of everything. Is 
every review is political, despite the yeah. fact that it's coming to America. And everyone is like, you know, it's really not funny. And I haven't seen the movie, so I could be wrong. Tell me, tell me what I'm, yeah, getting, no, I'm the, getting wrong the movie, with this. The movie is not funny. It is paint okay. by numbers. It is a total retread. The recycled storyline, recycled jokes, recycled so bits, characters. Even, they even use a bunch of footage from the original movie. But oh, that's I mean, that apparently yeah. is not crime enough. No. Well, the, the other people that I've read, I mean, literally uh, Slate, L.A. Times, et cetera. This was every fucking review of this. They were not complaining about these things, uh, Camille. The first complaint that uh, was almost in all of them was that it, it made light of sexual assault because the premise of the movie, apparently, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, is that Eddie Murphy, the king of Zamunda, obviously has a lot of problems with the uh, representation of Africa. Uh, as a entire continent in I mean, this movie, yeah. too, in all these reviews, yeah, yeah, but caricature, you know, it's funny. Maybe it's the funny word though. I would that's, use. That's what yeah. happens in movies. Um, and apparently, the problem <laughs> is, is that he, the king of Zamunda, comes back to America and has a son now that he didn't know about. And the joke is that uh, someone took advantage of him. And everybody in uh, that is reviewing this movie says it makes light of sexual assault. What? And he's I'm the I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen what? it. So I don't know what that means. Well, he doesn't but... say he was sexually assaulted. I mean, he he didn't remember hooking up with this woman. He got yeah. he got high. She didn't like get him high against his will. She just blew the Mary Jane in his face. He gets oh, high. Mary Jane. They hook up. Really? And he <laughs> had never like... thought about it. He Mary Jane. He had never thought about it until like he was Peter confronted Frampton? with this Peter story Preston. about him having had sexual relations with this woman and having produced a son. Well, all the reviews say that it, it's it's uh, making light of uh, of a of yeah. A rape. It, I'm serious. It's not this really. It's not a rape. Yeah, yeah, it's not a rape. And the rest of it was like taking it very seriously and responding to it as if it was a political document. And yeah. debating the political document, which is an Arsenio Hall movie. Well, I mean, were, were people making were were people making issue or taking issue with the fact that there was a, a trans joke in it? Because that's the one that stood out to me. Yes, when he yes. visits oh. the barber shop, the barber shop is mentioned. And, yeah. and the barber says uh, something along the lines of, "I got a granddaughter. Used to be my grandson." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just yeah. representation. Yeah, well, exactly. well, he goes on to say <laughs> they could turn your penis into a vagina now, <laughs> and, and and Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, <laughs> Eddie Murphy, and Arsenio Hall are standing there, and they just tilt their heads to the left, like both of them oh. in silence, just yeah. tilt their head to the not judgmental, just yeah, that's interesting. And he says it's science. <laughs> that's what he says. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, these characters are funny, and. He's sharing something with them that they didn't know, but it's not transphobic. He doesn't say this is bad. He's very pleased to have a granddaughter who was once mm. his grandson. It's more just to set up for a joke, but you know, if you want to <laughs> actually treat them as if they're real people. Um, the other thing was that uh, Zamunda, they try, it's fake feminist. Somebody actually said this because uh, Zamunda is a patriarchy. And uh, yes. there's like, I mean, honestly, multiple reviews talking about Zamunda, which I really wanted to write a letter to the editor and remind them is not an actual country. No, Just it's in, not. in case they're aware of this, it's not a real place. I mean, uh, how many monarchies patriarchy. are left in Africa at this point? Are, are there maybe two? I have no idea. And what do they think um, of uh, the Meghan Merkel, Harry, uh, Harry, that is the real question. Point. question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what color will the baby name? be? Windsor? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I'm so disinterested I think in he the took royals the name and everything concerning them. 
that's oh, sexist. No. Michael Moynihan. Uh, no, he's being open-minded. I, and I'm yeah. supporting uh, um, everybody's favorite ginger. I think the real hatred here is against gingers. Always. Well, that's, that's true. Always. That's, just that's true. I know. And, and, but that's why no one says anything because they're like, yeah, no, I get that. They just yeah. look – people think that I'm a ginger all the time, although I'm not, so I feel comfortable saying this. Gingers look half-baked. I think we can all agree on that. Moynihan, you're Listen. a little bit of a ginger, right? Uh, no, no. No, that's well. A little bit. Well, my entire well, family is ginger. No, I just have a ginger last name. You're yeah, a big ginger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had, I had peach-colored hair for the first, like, 25 years of my life. Oh, my God. And, yeah. like, fr- I, you know, freckles. Like, that's like, like a, wow. a lot of freckles. That must have been really tough on you. Yeah, marginalized. It's, yeah, how marginalized were you? Yeah. Well, you're the, I, the marginalized kept, member of the podcast. They <laughs> kept telling me that if it's I had a true. baby, it would have freckles. It was just awful. You do, but yeah. your kids don't. So you adopted? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, I, uh, I had freckles when I was born. Genes worked. You didn't have freckles. I sure did, and no, that's racist didn't. for you to insist that I did not. I will. No, I will show you my baby pictures. You, I got, you've met my mother man, before. My I, mother' I, I face is full of freckles. That's not your mother. There's <laughs> some lady that you said that you remember. She was doing a bad fake Jamaican accent. Exactly. Yeah. Well, she does have a bad Jamaican accent, but that's what happens when you've been in America for 40 years. Um, but I, we we've got like a lot of ground to cover. So at some Do point, we? we should kind I of start we, the podcast so formally. Yeah, I know it feels that way. But this is a huge day, as I understand it. A major piece of legislation is passed in Washington D.C. This <laughs> urgently needed COVID relief package. American Rescue Bill. How many trillion dollars? Matt nine. Is it 1.9 trillion dollars. As I understand it, this is among the largest pieces of federal spending ever enacted. This is kind of a big deal. So we should probably talk about that. But since there are more important things happening, we're going to talk about those other more important things first. And I think if we were going to have a segment on this podcast, apart from the the ones that we have that we don't really do regularly, like parting shots or... Mm-hmm. Um, what is the other one that we do? We used to do some idiot wrote this and then, oh, yeah, and then the internet good. we should bring that back. Taken Let's over bring that by, back tonight. Well, but the thing about it is that now we have to have a, uh, a segment called like some smart person wrote this because those are harder to find than the idiot ones. And that's okay. There so, can still be a worse, there could still be a worst one of the day, but if we were going to have a new segment, we would probably have a segment called like what cancel culture or well, we did, we did. Was it on the, so the Patreon canceled? One? No, it was the one we did together when we we talked about we talked about the NBC NBC piece about how Neera Tandon was uh, was denied a position because she was Asian. Yeah, yes, and, and, South Asian female. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we had to have a whole bit where we were like, she's Asian. <laughs> well, I, I feel I feel like today is a particularly good day to talk about this sort of thing since we do have Katie on the podcast. And Katie, I mean, forgive me for saying this. I don't want to suggest that you've got a bit here, but I mean, your podcast in large part is kind of a, a cancel culture-esque podcast, is it not? It, it is covering and surveying the damage, the ruination being brought upon America as a result of our current climate of constant censure and public shaming. Yeah, I'd like to think of it more as fifth column fanfic, uh, but we do we do cover we think, a we lot. We think of it of, that way too. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're the key and peel to our Chappelle show. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that's that's dark, dark. Um, oh you do tend god. to put out your you do tend Racist. to put out your shows a couple of days before us, which is in some ways good because I can listen to them and then steal your points, um, but also bad because people are, it's obvious the people that were stealing your points. Sometimes yeah. we credit you. Jesse credits you. I try not to. <laughs> None um, of this is true. None of it is true. Yeah. You should listen. You know, we do 
obviously we talk about cancel culture or whatever you want to call it all the time, and uh, particularly in the context of media. Um, I, I, what I tell people if I'm trying to sell them on, on buying ads for our show is that it's about the internet and what it's doing to us, but it is in this very specific way. Hmm. Um, you know, and there's sort of a downside with that. Like today I was listening to conservative radio in my car and the local conservative radio host has a segment on his show called something like, so you've been canceled. And I don't want to have anything in common with that guy. And so I'm, I'm a little mad. I feel like the right has co-opted my beat, right? Mm. It's like I discovered this band and then all of a sudden the band <laughs> is on a gap commercial. That's how I yeah. feel when, when Marco <laughs> Rubio talks about cancel culture. Um, but it is obviously something that we're concerned about and talk about a lot, even though the, the name, as you guys have discussed a lot, is terrible. Um, yeah. But we are observing something happening. And I think we would probably all agree that this isn't a new phenomenon. Public shaming has been around for fucking ever. Um, but there are new elements of it. Well, every, is it safe, every week is it we really do say? have like new people. Like So Winston Marshall right. of Mumford right. & Sons uh, this week is apparently amongst the canceled. Unfortunately not canceled for the shitty music. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, take it easy. Someone's a fan. I mean, I don't even know. Yeah. Like, I, have, I could not tell way, you a he's single the, Mumford & Sons He's the song. banjo player. And is that right? Typically, if you're a banjo player, you don't care about cancel culture. But this is, a different, <laughs> this is that type of banjo player. The culture is different now. Yeah. Kind of looks like our friend yeah. Andy. If even banjo players have to worry about cancel culture. <laughs> yeah, it's gone too far. But but then there are various things, Dr. Seuss and also Walt Disney that have, I guess the publishers themselves have made a decision to pull these things from their catalog or at least to not publish them. In the Disney case, it sounds like for now, maybe they'll make changes to the to the films that have been canceled. They, they need to, to take him off of ice and tell him what's going on. You guys know about this, right? No, Walt Disney. He's he's like been oh, in yeah, a cryogenic yeah. chamber for like seventy five years. Oh, <laughs> oh, they oh, take Williamson. Yeah, take That's him off the of ice. Take yeah. take yeah. him take him yeah. out of the ice, like Encino yeah. Man, and explain to yes. him what's going on, and also lecture him about his, about how how Mickey Mouse was well, blackface. Well, that's well, the just other, it. I the mean, rumor as, I, about, as I understand, he's probably kind of racist, right? Well, well here's the thing. Yeah. This you you might be falling uh, for sarcasm. This sarcasm. No, but no, but it is it is widely considered. And there's actually a bit like in an old Simpsons about them going to to Disneyland, and you know uh, Walt Disney's a Nazi, and there's all sorts of Nazi iconography. But apparently, this I don't know if this is true, but the unions who the cartoonist unions, which were basically communist controlled in the, in the 1930s and 40s, were fighting Walt Disney tooth and nail on wages and stuff, and were responsible for kind of spreading this idea that he was a fascist. And if that is true, I've heard this in multiple places, and I got to look this up. If that is true, that has to be one of the most successful defamation campaigns of all time, because like 80 years later, it is widely believed. Well, there's this uh, wrinkle uh, as someone who grew up in the shadow of Disneyland and went there uh, a ton of times uh, and had friends who worked there uh, in that it was an entire culture of its own that this is un- unspeakable to talk about, uh, especially in the 1980s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, they had super strict rules like no facial hair, no earrings. You had to keep your hair short. A certain, like it, what? in the 80s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like if, if it was it was really like Disney as a company is, uh, in, in the 70s and 80s was really identified with the culture of Orange County, Anaheim, obviously, um, and of – 
of maintaining these mores. Mm. Like, e- even as the world's going crazy, Disney will not, and you will be fired, sir. It was always the, you know, a little bit of a, a tattoo. It was always the mm-hmm. Brent Bozell thing, too, and those, those conservative outlets in the 80s, particularly in the 80s, and when a Disney would fund or have its name on as a producer of a film that had something that was slightly blue, they would be like, look at this. The culture is gone. Yeah, when Disney, t- when Disney Touchstone started becoming a, a yeah, thing, right. like uh, making b- a bunch of uh, uh, terrible movies about Beverly Hills. That was a that was a thing. Well, I mean, anyway. the, the, this is why I'm concerned about what we call cancel culture. This this illiberalization of, of, of culture on the left in particular is because. I'm slightly younger than all of you guys, but I'm old enough to remember the 90s when it was conservatives, except with the exception of like Tipper Gore and maybe Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. trying to, to to quash art and culture. Um, and so to see people of my own political stripe doing it is very disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, so when, when the you- Dr. Seuss bannings or not bannings, when the Dr. Seuss books started to get pulled and then there was the surge in sales of Dr. Seuss books – we also saw Sister Soldier's book. Her new release yeah. was also in like the top 10 books on Amazon, which of course reminds everyone um, who's listening to the podcast, because I'm sure you all remember, just like Katie definitely does, um, Bill Clinton's Sister Soldier moment Sister Soldier. Of course, when he yeah. was fighting against, fighting against uh, awful cultural elements. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I think there is something sort of oddly puritanical about this, but there's there's another cancellation as well, and maybe I'll just put them all on the table and we can deal with them, but... And this is not so much a cancellation. This is another one of those kind of public shaming, censure circumstances where the newly elevated editor at Teen Vogue, um, Alexi McCammond, I believe her name is. Is that right? Yes. Yes. The new editor-in-chief. She was formerly a political reporter at Axios. And also, oddly, her boyfriend is the guy who was fired by Joe Biden. I think they're still dating, Um, but fired by Joe Biden. Um, He was a press secretary, associate, something, another, I don't know, but he got fired because he threatened to end a journalist who was going to report on the fact mm-hmm. that he had been dating a woman who was I a political totally reporter that, for Axios. I'm on his side. The firing um, so the ending. Now the, she the, is the, apologizing the, the, the for, it's fine. she is apologizing for past <laughs> tweets or posts that appear apparently were deemed racist and homophobic and there was uh, apparently a, a large letter that was circulated within teen vogue this publication that has become increasingly political despite the fact that it no longer publishes an actual magazine um it comes out in print in cuba by the way is that right and, yeah in havana they, they <laughs> handed out in the street corner grandma's yeah, so daughter she's, she's issued an apology i don't know that she's Team been grandma. fired um at this point um and i imagine she won't be but all of this uh all of this is out there in the open. I mean, Katie, you, you were giving us a little bit of context for things. You wrote a piece back in 2019 uh, called Cancel Culture. What exactly is this thing? And you've, you've actually given us some context. But when I went back and I looked at it today, I saw a quote in there from... I have a feeling I know who you're going to bring up. Yeah. I saw a quote in there from a guy who mm. used to be at Slate and is no longer at Slate. Because he was having a conversation with people about possibly having a difference of opinion on whether or not it's appropriate to use the N-word at any point in time. Wait, Pesca was in there? I totally forgot about that. I thought you were going to yeah. say Taylor, Taylor Lorenz. I didn't. I actually, she was you know what's funny? That blew right past me. No, Pesca's in there. I, for I the totally forgot culture. that I asked that I interviewed him for that. So he, he has this extended quote. Referring to cancel culture, it's real. It tends to get exaggerated by interested parties and downplayed by others. 
but jobs have been lost and people have been threatened and projects have been scrapped. I don't know if it's an epidemic, but there's a chill. And oftentimes that chill is a liberal. That's the big difference between cancellation and critique. I say legit critique is liberal, arguing that Dave Chappelle's special was bad or didn't work for specific reasons. Illegitimate critique is illiberal, which is arguing that works shouldn't exist or that arguments shouldn't be made. That is an amazing quote, considering he was fired for making an argument on the Slate Slack channel. Right, mm-hmm. right. Wow, That's that was crazy. very prescient. That was very prescient of Mike. You know, I try to assume that people who go on these campaigns, like Mike's colleagues, I assume that they believe what they're saying. But I also have heard a bunch of stories lately, including Mike's, where there is an element of just sort of "fuck you, we want you out of here," mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so. So even if these arguments are made in good faith, I don't think we can discount the sort of professional dynamics going on. Like Mike, and we said this on the podcast, Mike had me uh, guest host his show. Jesse was going to be on his show. He was the type of guy who really did bring people on to debate him, even colleagues within Slate, which it makes for good radio. But I think among his colleagues... This wasn't it like wasn't fun for Christina Cotarucci to go on his show and debate him about whether or not Jesse's article was transphobic or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so they wanted him out, not just because of, of you know, his uh, the audacity to not even use the N word, but to to argue that somebody else should not be fired for using the N word. So it's not just about these one off or these one these incidents. It's about the people involved. Um, mm. And I think we, we can say that about many of these cases. I mean, we it is so much of this is, you know, focused on identity and, and it's not kind of bi-directional because I think there's probably something with Mike Pesca being an old guard white guy, too, yeah. that yeah. is, you know, probably let's let's move him out. And, you know, the person who's going to replace him is not going to be, you know, a 50 year old white guy. I mean, right. you know that. But then again, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the uh, teen teen mom. Teen but that's Bo, probably why she won't. Um, she probably won't be fired. And I'm guessing a part of that not, is because she's, oh, because she's yeah. not an old white guy. Yeah, yeah. And I, but well, the funny thing about this she's like is 20, it's gotten 28 years old. Yeah, well, 28. No. I don't know if she's had another gig outside of that Axios political Axios, reporter yeah. gig. But, but, That's a big know, jump. It's a big jump. And Camille, it's, a, it's an important thing to point out because you said she's 28. And what none of these headlines, I had, to, you know, some of the stories didn't even say it. I had to kind of go do the math and do some Googling that these tweets are from when she was in high school. It's crazy. Legitimately, they're from her high school, from she was a senior in high school. Yeah, if, mean, you, if you never said madness. anything racist in high school, you're a loser. <laughs> How's that? Can I say that? If you never said anything what? racist you or homophobic in high school, you yeah. are a loser. Camille, what, yeah, what did you say that was racist? I don't racist. want to talk about it. Were you NOI? Were you, uh, was I NOI? No, I was yeah. not. I was not NOI, about the, but I don't want to talk the about blood it. suckers. I, I, look, I won't. I won't talk about it for precisely the same reason no one else does. The 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 thing that's most bizarre to me about all of these cancellation and censures, and even these retractions of material from you know the oeuvre of of uh, Dr. Seuss or from the Disney Plus catalog, no one is ever specific about what got you in trouble. We don't get to see the quotes. We don't get to see the tweets that were published. They won't print them in the publications. Even the stories about the Dr. Seuss shit and the Disney shit, it takes an extraordinary effort to actually find out what titles were pulled. Mm. And you, <laughs> if you are interested in why they were pulled, you're shit out of luck. No one will tell you. It is you- 
absolutely amazing and kind of weirdly spooky that this is happening. Did you in that see way. the? Uh, did you see the New York Times piece about the basketball player Myers Leonard who uh, used an anti-Semitic slur while mm-hmm. playing video games yesterday? Yeah, no. what was the slur? I okay, never, uh, so so I said, had to look it up because the, he said kike. kike. He said. Yeah. Yeah, so he was playing like you know doing that like the thing where you play video games with other people on his screen. I don't know what this is called. And he said something like, uh, "Like you fucking video games." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you fucking kike. You fucking bitch. Don't snipe me. Something like that. But I had to. The New York Times wouldn't print it, and I saw even like more egregiously. I saw. I don't remember what publication this was, but a couple months ago, I saw a piece in some like local paper in Arizona or, or USA Today Network in Arizona, someplace like that, and a nurse had been fired. Uh, for for things that she said online, and she referred to Obama apparently as a monkey, and they expurgated the word monkey, so it was M mm, star, yeah. star 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 Y. So <laughs> you kind of you kind of got to really think about it. What? Yes, that's so M weird. And a lot of stars. Like, what did they call him? A Mexican? Um, what was the, <laughs> was the word? But yeah. no, it is it is crazy because it's, the the idea of this is that you can't show the clip. In everything, and I'll give credit to Camille on this because he made he made the the point, and I was quite involved in debating the issue when it happened. And I know that a lot of the people involved, but the Muhammad cartoon crisis that mm. uh, started in Denmark in two thousand seven or eight, I believe, and that was the first time I saw it, which is you can't see the thing that we're talking about, right? Because right. the people who are offended will be, you know, may, might come for us. They're actually at the time it wasn't they they weren't making an argument that they actually believed in the prescribed, you know, viewing of Muhammad caricatures, because like that applies to Muslims. We're not Muslims. We don't actually have to abide by that. It was out of fear. It wasn't out of respect. I mean, that's a totally different thing. And now it's so bizarre is that we've accepted, broadly accepted the idea that to even view it, to even see it come across the transom will be harmful to somebody, probably you. It might, you know, offend somebody or it might motivate you to join the sort of SS or something. And it is madness. There's no science behind it. Because when we say that people go out and shoot, shoot up schools because of video games, people then go out and actually do tons and tons of research to see if video games and violent movies are causing school shootings. And this, it's just been presumed that this stuff hurts people and it damages them and there's no return for it and we have to protect them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's no, there's no data, as far as I'm aware, that actually supports such a position. And it's also sort of, you know, for journalists to be doing this is, is totally insane. I understand if they're religious figures, but not journalists. So the Times, uh, in their piece about the Teen Vogue editor, didn't mention the tweets, what was in them. Um, right. So like yes. sort of alluded to them. Um, I saw this happen. I, I probably mentioned this once at least. On the podcast in our illustrious nearly five-year history, I was at the LA Times during the original Danish cartoons thing yeah. uh, from 2006, 2007. Probably happened in 2007, I guess. Um, and so was Dean Bakke. He was the executive editor of the paper at that time. And um, they, the news uh, side, would not reprint even a single one of the cartoons. So you couldn't see what it was about. And if you could um, see what it was about... Um, in the words of Tim Cavanaugh at the time, who used to work for Reason, um, like you would realize that some of these illustrations were basically asterisk, asterisks, the uh, sort of a French uh, mm-hmm. cartoon level. Like it was just crude BS. And and, and, and some of them were actually mocking the cartoon. 
the cartoon contest. They were mar- mocking and calling it Islamophobic. And and at least three of them, I think, never appeared in a yes. Danish newspaper, yes. which is a very small little detail. So they wouldn't print them on the news side, but we were in the opinion section and we were um, uh, editorially separate, uh, managerially separate. So I made an argument. The closest that the LA Times came to at that moment to printing it was me saying we should and making the journalistic argument like we need to be able to show people mm-hmm. how ridiculous this is. Mm-hmm. Like it would help them un- and also just to help them understand the story uh, it- itself. Ultimately, it was quashed. And it was quashed not because of the you know, this will do harm to people. Mm-hmm. But from what you were saying, Michael, like the the editor at the time was like, I am afraid that someone is going to see this and then, uh, you know, bring a bomb through the, the lobby and kill a receptionist. Mm-hmm. So well, we it, can't. It does harm people. It harms the people who who print them if they are a certain a certain person. Right. So it hurts Mike Pesca. It wouldn't hurt other people who work at Slate. I like I check Slate. I, I I search the word in the search box at Slate, which made me feel sort of a subversive, just like typing out the letters. And they printed the N word something like seven hundred times mm-hmm. at Slate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And recently, they did it last year um, in regards to the title of uh, of what's the guy's book? Uh, well, you know the title of the book. Um, I won't, Randall I won't Randall Kennedy. Katie. Kate. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't you do it. So you actually, been, could, you, yeah, you couldn't even say Randall comes. Kennedy's name. So I, I mean, have, come on. I've, been, I've been making the argument on, on our podcast that white people have a moral imperative to say the N-word because I think it is infantilizing Except. to assume. But I won't do it because I don't want to get kicked <laughs> off of Patreon and I don't want to get kicked off of iTunes. So what I'm so what I'm instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to start making jokes every week about how Jesse is too niggardly. <laughs> but the problem is that I'll get kicked off for anti-Semitism. For anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Oh my God! Yeah. So say it on our podcast. Yeah, exactly we will get kicked off. Yeah. Patreon. We'll get kicked I see what you're doing here. Yeah. I, I see what I'm you're doing, it. and it won't it. work. I didn't say yeah. it. I'm not going to say it. I actually have a solution for you. What I'm going to do is very quietly. Everyone, please be quiet. I'm going to do this. Nigger. Nigga. Don't. Nigger. Can I go? Now I've given you both of those. You can take that. You can edit (laughs) it out of the podcast. And and listen, here you are, America. You now have me saying both words for you. And at any opportunity, when you find yourself in a circumstance where you need to use these words, because sometimes communication requires language, (laughs) you can just get a soundboard, download it on your iPhone, and say those words. In fact, enterprising young person... I give you full permission to build an app, oh, you put it in the app store, and the only thing this app will do is have me saying the words nigger and nigga, yeah. problem solved. You know, I solved actually, racism in America. I think it probably well, creates a problem for me. <laughs> when we were, when, yeah. so, I had, so when we were doing our podcast about the Donald McNeil firing and the Mike Pesca firing, I did have a very similar idea, and I went to a black friend of mine who had told me, who had said, uh-huh. who had said, it would offend me if you didn't say the word around me because I'm not fragile and I know the difference between you using a racial slur directed at me and mentioning the existence of the slur. So he said, I, I feel he told that. Me that. Yeah, exactly. I feel that way. And, yeah. uh, and, and so, mostly, and I, mostly in private because I, I, I know that you all would, would probably get in severe trouble and I understand why you tiptoe around it. All of that said, you are still cowards collectively. I, 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 all I totally of you. agree with that. I totally agree with that. 100%. So, so I asked him if he would, if he would record coward. himself saying it so I could play it on the podcast. And he said, <laughs> I will never take part in that sort of coonery. I, I missed you for a second. He said what? 
He said, I will never take part in that part of C-O-O-N-E-R-R-Y. So, uh, yes. oh, you, so won't, nice. you won't even say the word coonery? I did, I did say I said it once. Oh, okay. I good. said it we once. Couldn't hear. We yeah, couldn't. no, no. It was, people, it was people, weird. Like, the white internet, people call me a coon in the house, house, house Negro and Uncle Tom. I've had all three of those things happen. So, that, I'm sorry, Camille. Can I fine. can I stop you right there? You've had yeah. all three of those happen. All you three have of those like things have driver's happened. licenses and passports in those names. You hear it so much. It's actually <laughs> happened once or twice. It's I'm like I turn on Twitter and I'm like, "Have done it." Is all I'm oh, white people have done it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Really? Like on, like on Twitter sure. or are these are these your yeah, detractors yeah. on Twitter? Are these like people on the street assaulting no, with this, racial slurs? No, no one. These are this like is good the thing about people. this is the thing about these brave souls. No one would see me on the street and talk to me that way. This is purely a function of the way that so, most social media sites work. I'm not even sure someone would do that on Clubhouse. Use their voice and actually utter a phrase like yeah. that. And, and um, you're not talking about like. People with like KKK hoods in their avatars. You're talking no. about like woke uh, social yeah, yeah. justice warriors. Okay, gotcha. sure, sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Now I, I do have a question that's percolating, and it's something I've been thinking about quite a bit recently. And Matt and I were actually both in DC this past weekend for an event. Are we are we allowed to talk about this? There's no sure. reason why we yeah. shouldn't be able to it's talk fine. about this, right, yeah, yeah. Matt? We sat down. We had some. We had some drinks. We had some margaritas. With uh, what is the name of that tequila, Matt? I like when you pronounce it. Uh, it's a Migros, right? What? Did you the, say the, the Negroes? The George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> why, you, why do you keep on saying Negroes? It's, it's horrible. It's called it was very delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Casamigos. It's very yeah. delicious. Casamigos. It's really yeah. But we, yeah. we were talking to a, a group of young people who are college journalists, and Matt and I were on different panels, but we were having conversations with them. And I found myself talking to them about, I guess the panel was about wokeness. And that was like in the title, woke. Like, what do we do about Along the woke left? Along with Noah Rothman, who is phenomenal. With, former, with Noah Rothman, guest. very, yeah. very phenomenal. Super smart. I mean, Noah's always smart. Even when he's mm -hmm. wrong, he's smart. And he's, yeah. he's frequently he's, wrong he's when he's debating guy, yeah. me. You know how that works. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm generally someone who worries about overconcern, And I talk about the various manifestations of it oftentimes on the left. And certainly I talk about it in the context of people who are concerned about racism and social justice. But I also find that I am increasingly concerned about it amongst people on quote unquote our side. And I am not exactly sure what the threshold is, but there is definitely increasingly things that I read that just make me like, eh, that seems a bit hyperbolic. That seems like something we should be laughing about and not something that we should be trying to cultivate righteous indignation about. It doesn't feel like we should be cowering in fear talking about the dark conspiracy to like pollute all classrooms in America with awful woke monstrosities. I hear conversations about the Great Reset and all kinds of other stuff. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Do you remember what happened with Common Core? There's a limit to the a kind of concern that I'm willing to manifest. And I don't think there's anything inconsistent at all for me to say that a lot of the bizarre illiberal stuff that seems to be happening is kind of totalitarian and it is ugly and it is something that bothers me. And I think we ought to talk about and people should be concerned about the state of the culture when this has become so prevalent. And at the same time, I don't think a lot of the, the worst, most excited hand-wringing about these issues is justified. Worse than that, I don't think it's helpful. Um, I mean, Katie, you, you talk about this stuff a lot and you don't talk with us about it a lot. It, it, does it sound like I'm off base at all? Do you think I'm, I may be downplaying this? 
So I think in, in one sense you're right, and I think in one sense you're wrong. And in the sense that you're right, I think that there is, like when you turn on Fox News or when I turn on my local uh, conservative radio station, the chances I'm going to hear a cancel culture story are very high. And mm -hmm. in some ways I get that because this is a problem on the left and they have keyed into this. And so they are picking up on, a, on an actual problem and they are beating it to fucking death. There are bigger issues. Of course, you can say that about anything. Like, why are sure. we talking about this and not talking about Yemen? Like, we in sort of the, the spaces that all of us occupy, the things that we write about, the things that we talk about, everybody is guilty of this, right? Everybody who isn't caring about the worst thing in the world is guilty of that. I do think – so I do think there is some uh, – that the, the focus can be a little bit overblown. And I say that as, so, as somebody with a podcast about this stuff and, and someone with real concern about illiberalization on the American left – the one area where I think it really is dangerous, however, not the one area, but the, the, the area where I think this, this creep of this culture that is the most dangerous is education. Um, and I say that, you know, I live in Seattle. I reported a bit on the school board here and on some equity programs here that were like, for instance, going to dismantle the gifted program, which, mm -hmm. you know, which ultimately harms, you know, very bright minority students more than it harms of a certain class, more than it harms very white, very bright white students because, at least with money, because they take their kids out of the public school. So it does have sure. this real effect in education. Um, so education, and that plus the fact that MAT programs, Masters of Teaching programs, I've interviewed a lot of students in Masters of Teaching pro programs, and they are captured. I'm sure this isn't true at every university in America. But in cities like Seattle and San Francisco and in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I lived, and in, even in my mom taught in a master's program, um, that was her career, that, that is, it, it is captured. There is a, a particular ideology and it is incredibly focused on equity and social justice, um, which sounds, of course, in theory, like a good thing, but it comes with all of these downsides. Um, so I do think that's where the issue is, is that the people who are running school boards, running the Department of Education and teachers themselves are hyper-focused on this issue to the detriment of, of students. I, look, I think that I get exactly what you're saying, Camille. And I think that, you know, it's often hard when you talk about this stuff, because as you point out, and as Katie points out too, every time you turn on Fox News, there's somebody who did something awful and is getting fired from their job. And they're saying it's, you know, cancel culture. And it's, it's become so broad that everything is cancel culture. Or, and there's all these suspicions too. We talked on the Patreon episode about uh, like the Pepe mm -hmm. Le Pew and uh, what was it? Space Jam 2? Yeah. That is probably fake news. And there's just this presumption always that uh, cancel culture is, is this dark force behind everything. I think the reason that that it should concern everybody and it actually deserves the attention it gets is, number one, the reason that we talk about this and not, um, you know, exclusively Yemen or something is that I am surprised that more people in our business aren't worried about this because this is actually what our business is made of is being able to talk about things, being able to debate things, be able to have, you know, different opinions to show images that might annoy people and offend, offend somebody. And this, you know, how common it's become and how it's just second nature. And people are, I mean, I guarantee you the Disney Plus thing is not in response to anything. 
not in response to any particular complaints. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, being proactive about it because they're so nervous because of the, the ubiquity of it. And, you know, the, the thing that's really, really scary about it that has, and it is an actual totalitarian instinct. It's not like, oh, well, this is just silly. Well, it is that, right? But, you know, when Solzhenitsyn got to publish after the Khrushchev's thaw, People knew that he was an enemy of humanity, an enemy of the Soviet project, but they weren't allowed to read his stuff. And that's the place we are now, is that all Mm -hmm. the stuff, all the dissident literature would have to come out in Samizdat because it wasn't saying, here, you can read it, but we're going to really give this guy a tough time. It was, no, you can't read it because the effects of this are going to be so bad. And it's going to be so bad on our larger ideological project. And the fact that that's the place that we're at now, and the fact that, you know, it is everywhere. I listened to something on the BBC today. A, uh, it was a BBC World Service uh, podcast, and it was about science. And it was about AI. And it was 45 minutes, and if send me a message and I'll send a link to it. It is the most astonishing thing I've ever heard. How in, in a conversation about AI can you make it 70 to 80% about identity? What? It hmm. was unbelievable. There was even a bit about how uh, that one of the academics, they're all academics, were complaining. I, I, I'm not joking. You can find this. That Siri and Alexa were women's voices taking commands in, in you know, solving problems right. for people <laughs> as if they were housewives. And I'm like, wait, I think this was done. I mean, if it was two, if it was two guys, like you'd have a different, uh, I mean, you can't win. You could choose you, the you, voices now. Yeah, you can. You just can't. Well, the, the other, there was like a 20 minute thing on, on how uh, American black vernacular gets a higher uh, uh, negative, like it doesn't transcribe the stuff as easily as it does. They kept on saying, you know, quote unquote, proper English. And that was, like, this was supposedly about AI. And I was like, I don't know, like Scottish people probably have a pretty hard time too. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I mean, people speak differently. It's hard to Thank capture you. everything, but it is everywhere. And that is the problem. It's everywhere. I would like to agree vociferously with Katie about two things. One, about the equity thing, which I'll talk about in a second. But the other, more importantly, is that Katie and I... NPR, baby. Yeah, and it's NPR. We all, at the same time, I think, about like four months ago, started listening to NPR in the following way. See how many seconds. It's not minutes. Second. It takes <laughs> when you like come downstairs, you, you pour the first cup of coffee, you see how long are they going to make this about the struggle of of uh, indigenous people and, and the, the recognizing structural racism. It's never longer than 60 seconds. It's never. It's never. Not even once. Act I, got a, I got a message from a guy a couple weeks ago who said that he has started – he turns on – uh, KNKX, which is the same NPR station that I listen to in Seattle because I've been blacklisted by the other, by the other public radio station in Seattle. So I listen to KNKX and he told me he listens same thing and he has a rule for himself. As soon as they start, he turns it on in the morning. As soon as they start talking about identity, he has to get out of bed. Which yeah. he said earlier and earlier yeah. every day. That's that's pretty good, actually. You've been blacklisted as a guest, right? I've been Not blacklisted as a listener. As a guest. As, okay. No, unfortunately, I still li- I still listen to them. They uh, they don't want they don't want to have my uh, my voice on air, but they don't mind having my ears on there. But on the their equity airways. the equity in education thing is worth thinking about. Um, for a few reasons, not just about education. The first day, literally day one of the Biden administration, he signed a whole of government executive order to mm-hmm. judge 
government action, every regulation, every expenditure, um, uh, every sort of disbursement of whatever uh, on equity grounds. And by equity in this sense, and this is very similar to how Camille masterfully put this on uh, the Bill Maher uh, show when he was on a month ago, it's working backwards from disparities in measurement. So we see at the end of X rainbow, maybe we're judging who is in the gifted and talented program at this uh, school system or who is in this elite school or perceived to be elite school. Um, are there fewer um, black people or brown people or whatever category you're looking at? Um, then there must be working backward from that. You see that there must be some kind of uh, uh, doesn't matter if it's intentional, but like structural uh, bigotry or s structural problem with that. Um, so they've done that now in government. Uh, like two days before the election, Kamala Harris, um, like this is closing argument time. This is mm -hmm, November. Mm -hmm. um, there's an animated video with her oh, yeah. sort of exasperated, you know, up the mountain, right? voice <laughs> up the mountain talking <laughs> this, about. This is a campaign ad. Yeah, it is. Campaign ad. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. Talking about the difference between equity and equality. And what's uh, marvelous in terms of like the selling point of the word equity, equity, you know, like the equity means like ownership. There's an mm -hmm. ownership stake. There's a right. sense of fairness to it. What it means precisely is what we used to call equality of outcomes, which was discredited because we knew we couldn't do it. It was too utopian, too strong to do that. If you had a country, Cuba is one of them, the former communist countries were, were them as well, like who guaranteed outcomes for people on gender lines, sometimes on racial lines, certainly on socioeconomic lines, like it was written in their constitutions. And sometimes lefties in America who are really stupid would say like, their constitution's great. It says that, that we should have the equal representation of women. Like, okay, go <laughs> see how that's working out for everybody. Um, yeah. So like when you – people understood that you couldn't do that equality of outcome in the broader West. Um, but now equity sounds better. It's the yeah. same idea, bro. Mm. It is the I same idea. I imagine most people who are listening to the podcast won't take issue with this, but in the event that there's, and actually that's not true because I know there are plenty of people who, who hate listen to the fifth column, or at least you disagree, but you listen because you know that this is great and somewhere along the line you expect to be, have your perspective changed. But if we're going You'll to fall in give, love with your captor, exactly, <laughs> you're going to give this the very best, we'll put the very best gloss on the, the argument that Kamala was trying to make. It's not so much about equality of outcomes. It's we want equality when it comes to starting points, that there is just a general unfairness when it comes to persons of color in particular, but particularly black people because of hundreds of years of injustice. And if only we institute the right policies and if only we care enough, we can find ways to root out all of the disparities, which themselves are evidence of racial injustice and we can try to address those things in some sort of material fashion so we can at least have the same starting point or a more equal, a more equitable starting point. Um, and I mean, I could take the time to unpack the arguments against that. It, but it, I think it, what's more yeah. important is to just categorize that as utopian thinking. It is utopian thinking. Because, yeah. because it's utterly ridiculous. There is, there is no limiting principle on a conception of equity that works like that, on a conception of fairness that operates in that fashion. And as I, as I said to this group of young people that I was talking to, 
like it, it's it's literally the case that if you grow up in a family with two parents as opposed to one, let's let's say just for the sake of argument here, it doesn't matter how many parents you have. You're getting just as much love, right? But at a minimum, that's two people to focus on your nurture and care versus one. This is unfair. Why can't we have equity in that respect? Why shouldn't we have equity in every other imaginable area of person's lives that might be dissimilar, that might produce unequal outcomes? I saw the, this ridiculous Bloomberg cover story. It's so bad that I don't even know where to start criticizing it about the racism of the tax code. The woman being profiled had spent years of her life trying to find or prove, convince people that the tax code is inherently racist. And she describes a circumstance where the entirety of the tax code is thwarting and oppressing black people at every single turn. And then she proceeds to give no specific examples of how this is happening. Not one. Not, Actually, not, not a one. single one. The yeah, examples like 5, that occur all words. throughout are things like black people contribute to 401ks at different rates than white people. Um, and, and ultimately, she makes what I think is the world's worst argument for a flat tax, which I mean, great to come out in a place that I almost agree with. But for that fuck's sounds sake. Like, that sounds like a psyop. Like Koch Brothers wokeness, you get this diversity uh, <laughs> consultant to explain why a, a, ta a flat tax is actually anti-racist. <laughs> the piece, the piece actually has a line in it um, about how uh, it's it's unlikely that any of her ideas will ever be enacted because there aren't perhaps enough Democrats in Congress. Yeah. Which is kind of like, are you are you kidding well, me? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that this want. they will help so, you. So this problem, pro this woman probably isn't isn't actually a sigh from the Koch Brothers, but I know that you want the schools to open in person in new york i assume that they haven't yet it's a uh, half time okay so here's what you got to do you got to make the equity argument because if the private schools can be open and predominantly mm. white people go to private schools so Serving you got their needs yes so you have to you have to focus on the fact that this is particularly disadvantaging black and brown students black and brown dude, bodies dude you know very well from being in seattle that brazenly the same people who are closing schools, which disproportionately absolutely mangles yeah. poorer and minority students, I mean, in, in ways that are measurable and horrifying, um, they are doing it literally in the name of fighting against white racism. Right. I mean, right. that's happened in at least a half a dozen major school districts in the country in Los Angeles. They're starting to open up very slowly now. We're coming up with agreements to open up on a hybrid level. Um, that's the thing. Like, yes, you can make the argument and it's the, it, it is the true argument yeah. that like these things that you've been saying that you care about the most, um, you are hurting the most. It's very measurable. Like, and yeah. you could do this on economics as well under, under lockdowns. Um, who is the category of people who have hurt the most in the economy uh, since February of 2020? Black single mothers, by far. It's yeah. not even close. I, I think this gets to this like fundamental, I don't know what it is, but there's this fundamental sort of problem within a lot of these uh, social justice movements, which is focusing on the wrong thing. Like maybe we sort of broadly speaking, I would like want to have similar outcomes to these people like, you know, uh, more egalitarianism or whatever. Um, but like, for instance, there's a school, uh, there's a school, a school district close to me. My cousin is a teacher there and, uh, fifth most, uh, high income, richest district 
in Washington state. And this is uh, a state with Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. So we're talking like high, high median income. And they needed to deal with equity issues. So their way of dealing with it, they're teaching on Zoom, is to not, the teacher cannot make the students turn on their cameras because of equity issues, because maybe Hmm. some kids don't have like pretty backgrounds or they have slow Wi-Fi or something like that. And so the teacher teaches to a a sea of black screens, not a single face on the screen. So just lecturing to a black screen. And that's what they do to to solve the equity problem instead of just opening the fucking schools, which would actually advantage poor people, brown people, black people, white people, whatever. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, um, it's, it's like focusing on the smallest particular thing. Another neighborhood in Seattle, we talked about this on the, on the show. They don't want to rezone. They don't want to change any of the laws to make affordable housing. They don't want any of the trees to come down. They're NIMBYs. I'm, I would probably be one of them if I lived there because I like trees more than people. But it was a tradition to put these light up monkeys in the windows at Christmas oh no. time. <laughs> oh and no. they don't even really look like monkeys. They look more like <laughs> yeah. sea monkeys. This is a very white neighborhood. And so this, this, uh, <laughs> the executive ever director. <laughs> right, right. So you can, so, and the whole thing was like escape from the zoo, right? And so this, uh, this executive director who focused on equity saw this and, and said it was offensive to black people because she saw these and apparently she immediately thought of black people. Um, and so that's what they focus on. So they, so they got rid of the monkeys. Did you just call her racist? I, well, she's black, so she can't be. And then a, <laughs> and then there was a water fountain in the community center. There were two water, they like got a new water, a new like ADA water fountain, uh, and like water bottle filler. And they put it right beside the old water fountain. So there were two oh. water fountains. Oh, and no. that was apparently reminiscent of white water fountains and colored water fountains. So they removed wow. one of the water fountains. So instead of doing anything in that neighborhood that would actually bring in low-income people or people of color into the neighborhood, like changing the zoning restrictions, they get rid of the water fountain. The entirety of that Bloomberg article, which I recommend people read because you can see the argumentation. And that argumentation is being cut and, and pasted across everything. And now literally by executive order across government. In fact, all of the evidence is disparities at the end. There isn't like redlining in the tax code. It's mostly class-based. If you are poorer, it doesn't benefit you. And so since more black people are poorer, then therefore it must be racist. This is like a results-based analysis. And in addition to that being kind of wrong, that is also Pandora's box, I would argue. Do you want to see what are the criminal justice statutes that have the most disparate impacts on communities of color? Gun laws, bro. Do you want to talk about intent? Original intent of laws to blunt black people in particular, but also minorities, immigrants, others, minimum wage laws. Like that was the intent. That's what people were fired up about back in 1920, whatever, when they were first talking about this. So if you were going to introduce this measuring back from results, some element of that is maybe healthy. Most of it is not, but like the idea that, hey, look, intent doesn't matter anymore. We care about results. Actually, that's a good journalistic impulse. I wish we'd do that more. I wish we'd do that with the damn, uh, you know, Biden stimulus and other things besides. But like, it is an opportunity to look at the specific results of specific actions of people, many of whom are using equity in their 
salesmanship, um, they come out looking worse. Matt, you mentioned the the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan that was uh, passed by the House today after previously being passed by the Senate, after previously being passed by the House. The Senate removed the $15 minimum wage hike. But this is a pretty substantial deal. It also strikes me that we actually could have gotten to pretty much the same place in October of last year. Initially, there was a skinny COVID relief package that Republicans were trying to pass. It was $500 billion. So not $1.9 trillion, but $500 billion. So that's a lot less. But at some point, I believe around like October of last year, Wolf Blitzer is talking to Nancy Pelosi. And there had been a number of different reports about there being a $1.8 trillion compromise that the president of the United States was willing to back in order to get this emergency piece of legislation passed in order to get all of this money to Americans, which apparently is desperately, urgently needed. And if I'm not mistaken, Democrats at the time filibustered that legislation (laughs) to prevent it from passing. Now, everyone is celebrating and doing backflips because $1.9 trillion have been passed. The reason for the filibuster back then apparently was um, that this wasn't enough. Um, Also, that the allocation of funds was to the wrong kinds of stuff. So maybe we could talk about the $1.9 trillion and how much is being spent. As I understand that some of the early reporting that I saw about what's in this piece of legislation, this monstrosity, um, was something like, half of the monies that are involved in this legislation are not even directly related to COVID relief? More than half. What the hell is in this piece of legislation? More than half. I mean, take the schools element just for a a piece of it. Nearly $130 billion is directed at K-12 schools. There's actually a $350 billion component that is unspecified financial relief to the states. And what do states spend money on? 20% 20% of their budget is K through 12. And a tiny little sliver, 5% maybe, goes to stuff that you might associate with COVID. 80% of it is hiring. At this moment in which schools are not open in places like Seattle and Los Angeles um, and Chicago, you have no strings attached money being spent when there is an exodus from the public school system. My six-year-old daughter we are probably going to leave the public school system because we can't count on New York having a a five-day-a-week system in September. It's crazy. So at a time when enrollment is dropping, it dropped this year already 5% or so in the K-12 system nationwide. I would say in September, it's probably going to be another five. This money isn't on mitigation. It isn't on PPE. It isn't on ventilation. It's on hiring, including hiring more janitors to wipe shit down. We know that's not how it was being uh, spread, but these things were written uh, by teachers unions and it's fucked. We are spending all this money on stuff. The the funds are actually not going to be dispersed until after the pandemic is completely in the rearview mirror. And that is typical throughout the entire $1.9 trillion in addition to the $200 billion education part. I'm curious about what you guys, uh, with your libertarian slash anarcho-capitalist values, think of the uh, <laughs> the $300 maximum per child per month. This seems like a big fucking deal. It's a new entitlement. 
I mean, and it's going it's, to basically everybody who makes less than like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like you guys might be getting checks. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm not getting a check, man. Yeah. You know, I make a lot more. Never fight, never fight. Yeah, I hear ball. Yeah, yeah. Never get. I don't know how vice that. <laughs> never get free money from the government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's the problem. I'm in that weird tier where I like don't get any of these programs, but I also don't get the super duper extra special benefits for the ultra rich people. That's the real yeah. tragedy yeah. of all of this. Yeah, which is to be expected because racism in America, exactly. right? That's how this works. Camilleism. Exactly. <laughs> From a libertarian perspective, or more libertarian than I am, like I, I agree that there's a lot in this that is probably going to be fucking wasted. And if my personal taxes go would, up, would you I'm say most? Be, would you say most of it? I need to look. I need to look at it more. The the one thing that I'm <laughs> the one thing that I'm that I'm like I am enthusiastic about is this payment to families because. Kids are fucking expensive. You know, I'm the only one in this in this room that doesn't have children, so you guys can speak more about that than I could. But the cost of childcare alone, something has to fucking change. My, I have a twin sister. She has two kids. She spends $30,000 a year on preschool, daycare, whatever it's called. That's a salary for some people. And maybe this isn't the best way to do it. But mm -hmm. uh, giving people money, I can't think of a more direct way. You can't force the daycares to charge less. You can't pay people less. Um so what do you guys think about this? Now, Matt, you, you know more about this than I do because there have been so many different permutations of this bill. Is, is this a, a direct payment of some sort or is this an expanded tax credit? This is it's a direct a, payment. Is it? Okay. I think so. I thought it was a tax, but it doesn't matter. Um, the thing about it is that it's going to be renewed two years from now. So it's temporary, which means it's going to be absolutely permanent. Permanent. Um, yeah. I mean, who wants and, to be the asshole who votes against that? The way that would be cast is you voted in favor of taking money away from American families. But it's also this weird natalist thing that we've been doing and that Republicans have been increasingly excited about the last five years. Mitt Romney came out with a new thing. All the reform cons have been loving this shit for the last eight years. Uh, like we need to encourage people to have babies. It's like how about maybe not having the government care about how much we're fucking and reproducing? The biggest need for childcare expenditures in my household as someone who's just done my taxes has been that the schools are closed hmm. by far. And I'm not saying that schools are daycare. They're not. They're different. But do you want the government to be in charge of trying to pay for your childcare? Some people will say yes. Um, uh, I think there are reasons why you don't want that to happen, not least of which is that we've just spent – this is the, probably the second biggest bill in the history of mankind. We've spent more money now on COVID relief in quotation marks packages since March of last year than we did on World War II adjusted for inflation. And like World War II is kind of a bigger deal. I don't know. Like, like you, you have a big bookshelf in one hand. Um, it's bigger than like the COVID bookshelf. It was a big war. Yeah. A, a lot, big, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah. So, big so war. It, this, for those six years was a, so it, is, it is a tax credit as, <laughs> as I understand it. I'm, I'm looking, uh, looking at it up right looking now. Looking a little bit more carefully. Yeah. I am too. And it, like, I'm looking at NPR and it says, uh, Anti-property programs such as an expanded child tax credit that would mean new monthly payments to many parents. So that confuses me. Is it yeah, a tax I think, credit I think or is it, it monthly payments? I think if you are below a certain income level that it comes to you. And if you're above, then it comes in the form of your tax burden is less. 
Right. Okay, but it comes as a monthly payment. Apparently. Interesting. But but here's here's the important thing. We're talking about a 1.9 trillion dollar piece of legislation. As I understand that this is maybe 150 billion dollars of that whole damn thing. And those $1400 checks are not even 500 billion dollars of that whole damn thing. And even the unemployment benefits are less than $250 billion of that whole damn thing. I'm not even close to half there. I haven't passed the $900 billion threshold. That is an extraordinary amount of money to be spending at mm-hmm. any one time. And I'm, I'm not even certain that there could be any sort of meaningful accounting for all of the monies that have been spent thus far, especially since so much of it has come through the Federal Reserve doing all kinds of unholy things in terms of bond buying. So there's a great deal of activity. And the thing that stands out to me, one, that this apparently polls pretty well, which tells you a great mm-hmm. deal about democracy, but two, the, the polling kind shitty, of coverage- that, well, this is this is typical as well, but the kind of coverage that you have actually seen of this from journalists has been pretty astonishing to me. There was one of those like three byline news stories in the Washington Post about the Biden, the Biden stimulus bill, and the title of it was yeah. "Biden stimulus showers money on Americans." Sharply cutting poverty Sharply and cutting favoring poverty. individuals over business. Yeah. The $1.9 trillion package enjoys wide support across the country. Polls show, but it comes with political and economic risk. That's not how you cut just, poverty, by the way. Just maybe. I don't think there's really many economists that would say that just by showering money and using that verb that all of a sudden poverty has been alleviated because, of course, there is a time limit on a lot of this stuff. Um, not all of it, but the stuff that does remain is not going to quote-unquote cut poverty. One of the things I find incredibly strange about this is the high dudgeon that people got in um, around two, I guess it was 2005, six, seven. When was uh, Katrina? 2000, was it, I can't remember. Five or six. Five or six. Um, that, you know, provoked Naomi Klein to write a book on disaster, disaster capitalism. capitalism. Yes. And what that meant, because um, New Orleans was, a, was one of the examples was that, uh, you know, everything was destroyed. So a bunch of horrible people came in and said we should, you know, replace these with charter schools. Oddly quiet now, aren't they? Because as you pointed out, there's a lot, and I'm looking at Matt when I say this, there is a lot of stuff in this bill that is not about ventilation, <laughs> that is not about COVID directly. There's, you know, stuff that's kind of secondarily and, you know, in a tertiary way about COVID. But you can kind of all justify it in some ways. But not all of it and not a lot of it. And so is this not the same thing? Is this not disaster pandemic socialism or some version of disaster big government that, okay, this has happened. So as a teacher's union, let's get everything out of all of these little gifts that we want with nice little bows on them and ram them through because we have an incredible opportunity here that if the second you object to this, as Camille points out, you can say, why do you hate poor people and children and the rest of it? And as an economy that has been stagnating only because of a disease it is entirely contingent upon a health condition. It is not contingent upon any economic factors that preexisted the pandemic. And obviously that probably would have changed the result of the election. So it is going to, just by its very nature, going to get back up on its feet. As people open up more, there's going to be a million businesses that have been killed because of it, because we've been, I think, in my opinion, overzealous about some of these lockdowns and 
25% of people when we could easily have 100% in a lot of places. And I support what Connecticut does. And I'm a little slightly skeptical of Texas and the mass stuff. But, you know, I'm not, you know, don't believe that it's it's the death cult speaking. But it is going to recover and it is going to be the, the success that the American economy will see because the pandemic recedes is going to be attributed to $1.9 trillion in spending. 100%. 100%. And that's kind of a dangerous precedent. So. We just doubled the jobs report. You know what the unemployment in this country is uh, as a percentage? Six something? 6.2%. Yeah. There was a time wow. – Katie doesn't remember this because she's too – That's low unemployment in Europe, blind. by the way. Wow. I'm like, I'm like three years younger than Camille. <laughs> so Camille won't remember this either. But like, there was a time in the 90s, right? Like – Reagan never had 6% unemployment in his I remember. I know. No, he didn't ever have that. <laughs> so there was a there was a whole uh, theory that if unemployment ever got below 6%, that was the threshold, then inflation was like guaranteed. Mm-hmm. There's no way we could get there. And then uh, during Clinton, I think the second uh, Clinton administration, it went under there like, oh, my God, we have to rethink our our presumptions. Um, so we're at 6.2 right now. And granted, yeah. that's with a lot of labor force uh, dropouts, particularly of women, uh, millions. Uh, ha- and and been- folks who are under underemployed or in some cases like working a job with a reduced salary. There are plenty of people in that circumstance who Correct. Certain, but th- things still, haven't been remedied for them. It's kind but, of but miraculous. That's still so much better than one would have expected given where we are and the extraordinary things that have happened in, in the context of the economy and the, over the course of the last like 12 months now. And dude, walk around in the spring in New York as we've done the last couple of days here. Yeah. Oh my God. Shit's going to go like 13.7% It is a different, I mean, it, I feel like I'm at like Al Goldstein's house in the 70s. People are like half naked, <laughs> all like hanging on each other. I, just I, I, I had, that was just you. I, yeah. I didn't, I, oh, I didn't say that. It was actually just yeah. you. Yeah. I was in uh, Nolita today having uh, dinner and uh, it was very hard to get a table. And it was packed everywhere. I mean, it was young people everywhere. It, it was, tonight was the first night that it seemed to me that things had really, really turned a corner. Because, you know, the masks weren't, people weren't really diligent about them. And everybody was out. Everybody was on the sidewalks. Everybody was inside, too, because now the 25% thing, as we've talked about, and we talked about in the Patreon we did the other day, that 25% is often like 75% because people are struggling so bad and no one's really checking. Um, it's like the first days after the smoking ban when they used to take the uh, the coasters and fold them into ashtrays and just send them over to you and be like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Because <laughs> it's like, a day, you know, people, they need to get keep the business in there. And <clears throat> it just feels like a totally different place now. Everything is feeling, traffic is back, everything is back, and the only difference that I can see, I mean, obviously it's greatly constrained, but the big difference that I see is the difference between what is happening, again, to make a Soviet analogy, what is happening on the pages of Pravda with the great bountiful grain harvest and what is happening in the bread lines of Moscow, what is happening in the newspapers and media of America that is constant you know, barrage of negative news and it's getting worse and there's new variants and everything's dying. And when are we getting out of this? And like, you know, then we have Fauci, of course, uh, who's this morning on CNN kind of slightly walking that back and saying the CDC is going to kind of loosen up a little bit, we think, but you know, we don't want people doing the wrong thing. The, the, the disparity between what I'm hearing, you know, on, in, you know, newspapers, on Twitter, et cetera, amongst the, uh, the, the Twitterati and what is happening in real life, because those are people that actually can't sit home and pontificate for their salaries. They have to get people into their restaurants. And they're taking, you know, they're taking a very different 
tech. And they're actually getting, these restaurants are getting fuller and fuller every day, which I think is a very, very positive thing. I'm very happy to see it. Yeah. Well, I I do know, as I think has been mentioned already, like at some point the pandemic will abate and things will change. And the real difficulty is always (laughs) trying to figure out. I just got my Oculus. I just got my Oculus. I don't, I don't want this to end. I've entered the visual world. I have not How, for a year. I have not wait, had when to did make you get excuses. It? How long ago did you get it? Like two weeks, and I got it because I heard you in conversation with I can't remember wow. his name. Van Latham, um, yeah, yeah, Van Latham. That was a very interesting conversation, and you were highly complimentary of the Oculus, and I, yes. I got one, and I have uh, I have moved over to the to the digital world, and so I don't want this shit to end because <laughs> I'm gonna have to start leaving my house again. What, what are you need doing to on the Oculus? Oculus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the Oculus? What is the game app? Uh, video pornography. What are you guys yeah. doing? <laughs> so I got a couple complaints about it. I was hoping I would get a chance to talk to you about this. It's heavy. <laughs> that so it, it hurts my head. So I can uh-huh. only do it for like 20 or 30 minutes at a time. So this is not actually like being hooked in, going into a parallel world, although I wish I could. <laughs> when, it, when they're like, when the technology is so good that it's just like putting on your glasses, I will yeah. leave this world forever. Um, upload my consciousness into, into the VR world. So I do an head. app called Trip. Do you do yeah. Trip? Yes, is, every every morning. I did yeah. it twice this morning. Actually. Yeah, and, and it's just it's like it's like meditation, but I don't actually meditate. I just look at the shit because it's it's very psychedelic. <laughs> That's meditating. That's meditating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would uh, like think about like what I'm gonna get yeah. at the grocery store and shit. Um, so yeah, I can trip. sort of it's like fake meditating. I really I, I haven't done it on psychedelics. I really want to do that because it is very fucking cool. Yeah, that's just the best way to put it. It's very cool. It's very psychedelic. So that's that's your number one app is trip. I that's, that, so honestly, the, I have I have yeah. it, and at this point, that is almost the only thing I do. Except yeah. yesterday, I bought Climb Two, the sequel okay. to Climb, which, I, so yeah, I, hence the name. I also do Supernatural. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty. It's much like it. where you like take walks outside, right? No, you're in a beautiful location, and you hit balls and you feel like uh, it's like oh. an, i got it because i want to do i don't yeah i, I wish it was like like, like, like human males are, yeah human males are coming up to you and you kick them in the nuts i wish um, no, so there's just like balls flying at your head you have these two balls. bats but you're in these beautiful locations so you're in like a desert or whatever the redwoods or some shit um but it's just it's good for it's good for exercise but i have this feeling when i'm doing it like I look like Neo in, uh, <laughs> you know, in the Matrix. Like I look fucking cool. And then my wife took a video of me doing it, and she yeah, showed no, it no. to me, which was the cruelest thing she has ever done. I do not look like Neo. I look like a fucking gamer. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I got one on your on your uh, on your recommendation. Well, yeah. I, I should be getting points on that. On you should that be getting paid thing. for I, that. I get yeah. so many emails. Well, that about, would be good I'm because we're losing a lot of, of listeners <laughs> because of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not Sorry, true. people are money. listening and they're buying. They're buying the stuff that we plug on the show. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna get go. paid for that though. Moynihan, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm gonna yeah, work on that. Yeah, cut this out. Yeah, cut this out. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to call in. Mark up. No, I want it to yeah. play. I'm going to call Mark up. I'm going to tell him I'm selling your, your hardware over here, my nigga. Like, hook me up. Let's do something. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, well, look, there's there's other stuff that I, I definitely wanted to try to talk about before we let Katie go. Uh, there are two things. One um, is George Floyd is again in the news. The trial Who? of Derek Chauvin. You, you've never heard of this gentleman? Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Well, we'll make it up as we go. But Derek Chauvin is uh, finally facing trial at least the jury selection process has resumed minneapolis appears to be preparing for the possibility of a potentially bad outcome or at least more unrest but 
it also has come to my attention that Taylor Lorenz of the New York Times is under attack from one Tucker Carlson, uh, a mean person at Fox News Channel who has suggested that Taylor is perhaps not very good at her job. The most powerful people claiming to be powerless. Taylor Lorenz, for example, writes for the New York Times. She's at the very top of journalism's repulsive little food chain. Lorenz is far younger than prominent New York Times reporters used to be. She's also much less talented. You'd think Taylor Lorenz would be grateful for the remarkable good luck that she's had. But no, she's not. Just this morning, she tweeted this, quote, For International Women's Day, please consider supporting women enduring online harassment. It's not an exaggeration to say that the harassment and smear campaign I've had to endure over the past year has destroyed my life. Hmm, destroyed her life, really? By most people's standards, Taylor Lorenz would seem to have a pretty good life. One of the best lives in the country, in fact. Lots of people are suffering right now, but no one's suffering quite as much as Taylor Lorenz is suffering. People have criticized her opinions on the internet and it destroyed her life. Let's pause on this International Women's Day and recognize that. You thought female Uyghurs had it bad. You haven't talked to Taylor Lorenz. (laughs) And the New York Times says that this is bullying. They say this is bullying and it's not right. Have they ever put out a statement like this for anybody else? No. Maybe I should give the statement too quickly. In a now familiar move, Tucker Carlson opened his show last night by attacking a journalist. It was a calculated and cruel tactic, which he regularly deploys to unleash a wave of harassment and vitriol at his intended target. Taylor Lorenz is a talented New York Times journalist doing timely and essential reporting. Journalists should be able to do their job without facing harassment. I don't want to pile on here because Taylor's Mm -hmm. obviously going through a lot, but I have in the past along with friends of mine, been a subject of some of Taylor's very, very careful journalism, which is in some cases eavesdropping on conversations on Clubhouse and then running to Twitter to broadcast something she says someone said that was racist or uh, obnoxious. Someone said the word retard in a clubhouse room and Taylor thought that it was important to broadcast this, except she attributed it to the wrong person. And, and didn't say that it was in the context of Wall Street bets and not actually yeah, calling I mean, somebody this, retard. Yeah. Taylor Lorenz is a, is a glorified tattletale who pretends to be a journalist and she has a job at the New York Times, which is great for her. I, I just don't know. I can't shed many tears for her. But the response from the Times seems completely bizarre. I think Tucker's, um, I get what he's saying, but I think he misses the main point because the main point is not that she's super privileged, which is pretty obvious. It's that she does the exact same thing she's accusing people of doing to her. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, she's literally saying, well, I think it was Mark Andreessen that she accused of saying the word retard, of course, which was, as I just said, in the context of Wall Street bets. And that's the word they use to describe themselves. And it's like every right. second world on Wall Street bets. That's why they're talking about it. And that was the wrong person. And she deleted the tweet and then said she was the victim of a harassment campaign rather than, you know, prostrating herself and saying, Jesus, I should never have done that. And I'm really sorry because um, I'm trying to ruin somebody's life. And it just failed this time. That is the First thing. The second thing is what Katie says, has this ever happened before? The New York Times. Not that I'm aware of, but I can add one thing to that. It has happened before recently about Tucker Carlson. This is apparently something that news organizations do. NBC released a statement when Tucker Carlson did a piece about a couple of reporters at NBC attacking them, one of whom I know. And I didn't actually watch the segment. I don't know the merits of, of his case, but he attacked them. And NBC released this pain statement and said, how dare you attack our journalists? 
again, one of these people I know, and I don't know if he was if he was fair to that person, but the thing about it that strikes me is that's what this is kind of all about. Uh-huh. This is kind of what we do, and this is kind of what the journalists at NBC do. They're very sharp elbowed, and they, you know, are attacking people and QAnon and people in the Trump universe and the rest of it. And there's, but they're still doing it. That's still attacking somebody, right? And right. Still, they're probably having very bad days too. But I just don't. I find it very strange that because Tucker Carlson does it and because he has a highly rated show and because he's on Fox, that somehow this is something that we really have to, you know, all hunker down and, and defend our colleague, particularly at an institution that does not do a very good job of defending its colleagues usually. I mean, right. Like if attacking a journalist is out of bounds, Media Matters needs to disband immediately. There's an entire <laughs> nonprofit apparatus huh. dedicated to listening to Joe Rogan and watching Tucker Carlson and criticizing the media. I like Tucker. Or, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like I like wow. Taylor. I've met her in person <laughs> once. We had a good conversation. I think she does some good work. I think that if you are in this business, you need to be thick-skinned. And there, online harassment is a problem. I feel bad for anybody who is at the bottom of it, including Taylor. But if you want to be a public figure, there's a really easy way to turn it off, and that's there's a button on your Twitter. Check the mark that says only get notifications from people who follow me. 90% <laughs> of the bad shit will go away. And once it goes away, it kind of doesn't exist. Like <laughs> you can change your own Twitter experience. You can ignore this stuff. I get that it's hard. But if you want to be a public figure like Taylor Lorenz or Tucker Carlson or Glenn Greenwald or whoever, you kind of that's what you're signing up for. Glenn Greenwald is the guy that I think yeah. he would die if they if he didn't get those messages every day. Right, it's like right. you know a shark a shark that stops moving dies. He I mean there's some people that are fine with it. Not only that, like he just feeds off of it. But you know to your point, I just I'll caveat what I said before is that I think that's exactly right. You just stop paying attention, which is what I do. I do sympathize, though, because it is horrible. And it is yeah. like, you know, Camille has a thicker skin than than I do. But after the the uh, Bill Maher appearance. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. it's because you were good on Bill Maher. If you sucked on Bill Maher, no one would care. But you were good and like you were me. effective. And yeah. when that goes on, it's literally if a tree falls in the forest. I mean, that's not true. So, Matt. <laughs> no, I mean, but, you weren't you weren't bad. You just weren't nearly as good as me. Oh, that's really? all. There are pictures, there are, Thanks, are, are telephone posts and polls in Seattle with a picture of my face that call mm. me a Nazi sympathizer. And worse, Ouch. call me a Jordan I, Peterson apologist. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was only in Seattle once. I thought I'd do an homage to you. It d- yeah, didn't yeah, land right. Yeah. You know, it, it actually has been great for my career. But that's my point is like, <laughs> that shit's terrible. But you can just like... When you walk down the street, turn your Twitter off. It's fine. People will survive it. Like, if you want well, to be in this business, well, you have t- to have thick skin. Uh, th- one more true. point. Th- th- it's, it's you know, as Camille said earlier, we were talking about um, whether we over, over you know, overblow this stuff or if it's a, if it's a little kind of uh, heavy breathing sometimes about the cancel culture and everything. The thing that's interesting about you and, and Jesse, for instance, is that when you someone's saying that, like, it's been the worst year and my life has been totally destroyed and I still have a job at the New York Times, and the New York Times institutionally supports me and it doesn't do that to other people. 
Um, the two of you are people that if you had different political opinions would have jobs that you previously had. Right. right? I mean, mm. you, you've done well enough and it's been, right. it's been great. And it's very rare that that happens that you and Jesse can actually have an income based on what we're doing now. But Jesse used to, you know, be at the Daily yeah. Beast. He used to regularly write for New York, New York Magazine. No, he was in, on staff in, at New York they, Magazine. Yeah, and they don't want him writing there anymore, and you know, or regularly anyway. So, if you want to be at an institution, then being canceled is difficult. But if you do better outside of an institution, and you mm-hmm. have an, like have a certain attitude about it and a certain platform, then it can be very good for your career. But it's important for people to remember this: your job it came to an end, and it had nothing to do with your work ethic, your output. Most people don't understand this. If you're showing up to work every day and doing all the stuff that you do, why are you being pushed out? And it's a very specific to our industry that people don't like what you think, and we can't have that anymore. This is true, but I was laid off because of COVID, so I could have kept my job indefinitely, probably. Do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> you weren't you weren't popular in the newsroom i would say i right? wasn't i was not popular in the newsroom i was yeah they would have found a reason to get rid of you katie especially with the racial reckoning yeah the ra- I mean, okay but the thing is i had i did not have the support of my colleagues but i did have the support of my publisher the guy who founded the stranger tim keck he founded the onion dan savage was my closest ally on staff so i didn't have my colleagues they didn't like me. Mm-hmm. They thought mm-hmm. I was a Nazi, Jordan Peterson apologist, et cetera, et cetera. But I did have support among people who mattered more. So I think it's possible I could have like so hung on. But why the fuck would I want to? still there are Nazi sympathizers, like those people, and they should be canceled. No, I don't think – I mean, I don't even know if the paper still exists. It's <laughs> I, been so uh, long since I've, since I've looked at it. But Dan, but Dan Savage supported you. Yes. Yes. I think that's it must be a generational thing because politically you're pretty different than Dan Savage. Yeah. No. Yeah, but also Dan. Yeah, Dan. Dan's always been open-minded. Yeah, I, this, is I also, think that's this is also thing, an yeah. era that's defined in a in a much different way because it's one of those things. Right. Like, how many times have you and I met in person, Katie? Like, Probably not like many. Maybe two or three. once or twice. Yeah, yeah, twice. I think twice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. One of but, those times, by the way, was with Taylor Lorenz. FYI. Is that right? It yes, was. it was. We were all was there. It? What was that? Yeah. It Andrew was that, Sullivan. Yeah. Was that the Brooklyn Yeah, Sullivan was there. A, a bar yeah. in Atlantic you know Avenue. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Kat yes. Rosenfeld was there. You too. know what? Yeah. I mean, yes. and this is and this is the thing. I would have Taylor on the podcast next week. I would love to talk to Taylor. And and you know what I would do? I would be a gentleman, like Ralph Trisvant. Really? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, now I could start saying that, but I won't. But I would. I would. <laughs> like I, I would. Yeah. I would have her on. But but I but I was saying that I don't know very much about your politics at all. Like I presume that I am, I hate the left right spectrum, but that I'm, if that were a thing far to the right of you and it doesn't matter. What I know about you is that you don't presume that other people who disagree with you are absolute monsters, Mm -hmm. which (laughs) generally speaking is like (laughs) the perspective that many, many, many people have about folks who have politics that are different than theirs today. And mm-hmm. I think that is like the defining characteristic <laughs> of most people who operate in these spaces <laughs> and who do the kind of stuff you that did, we do. You did, Camille, right. refer to Katie's sinful lifestyle on the Patreon, by the way. Well, Ooh, you said you objected. I can't help that. I, actually, I, I think that. I actually told you to say that at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you do object to her sinful lifestyle, don't you? And you, as a Jamaican, I mean, how you could you not? Yes. Yeah, it's congenital. <laughs> how could you not? 
I objected. I objected to it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. The dog sleeps on the bed. Yeah. It's disgusting. Um, today, I. Uh, it's so sinful. Today, uh, my dog was getting car sick. So that so the dog sat in the front of the car and I sat in the back. Um, it's oh. very sinful. Extremely extremely Gosh, homosexual. Yeah. yeah. You know so. So after I wrote this piece for The Stranger about detransition, which for, for your listeners who, who don't know my sort of backstory, so as you guys know, I wrote this piece about detransition. I read it recently and I was like, holy shit, this was so pro-transition. I'm shocked that it had this impact because mm. it was like I like hedged everything. It was like inc- I was just incredibly clear that like the existence of detransitioners doesn't negate the experience of, of happily transitioned people and went out of my fucking way to say that step back and ex- talk in english about what that is oh, okay so uh yeah i guess maybe your podcast is uh has a few a, a smaller turf contingent than mine um <laughs> yeah, so- thanks thanks matt let's make sure to get this on the <laughs> record on the fifth column so we it's can get for me now. let's so, be honest go so on detransitioners are people who have transitioned from one gender to another and then transitioned back and so I wrote this piece about it, and it was just like a profile of several of these transitioners. And there was this crazy outcry, and people were burning stacks of the paper and putting up flyers around Seattle calling me transphobic. And all of they my were friends burning the paper, like yeah, physically it. burning the paper, and sending me videos of it. Yeah. Do you know that there's like a historical precedent for that? Yes, I'm aware. I don't know. LeBron James I when he went to South Beach and how people started burning his journey, jersey in Cleveland. <laughs> or, or, Is that the historical precedent? Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just want to be sure I understand. Yeah. Yep. We're on the same page. Yep. So it was really crazy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dyke and like my friends were all queer and everybody's like whoa, persona non grata. language. Yeah, oh, I'm please. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I've, I've reappropriated it. Yeah. But... We use the word homosexual on this podcast. I, I use that one too. That one's actually the most, the most offensive one, which is why I use it. Um, it's not as offensive as bisexual. That's the really offensive one. Um, bisexual. But so, but Usually so, means I have a drinking problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't bisexual after enough tequila? Absolutely. Um, like three, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. I'm on the record. I'm 15% gay. I've, Absolutely. I've mis- I have mistakenly been bisexual a few times. This is, is why I said that the Kinsey scale, that we should start identifying by the Kinsey scale and not yeah. and not yeah. these vague names like we're um so but i did have this uh you know i sort of i got all of this shit from people who i had sort of considered my political allies and i you know had this kind of like come to jesus moment where it's like holy shit if they're wrong about this piece and they were wrong about the piece then what else mm-hmm. are they wrong about and it really i really i didn't my vote didn't change at all but i really I really changed in terms of how I look at people and I don't look at people based on um, their sort of position on the political compass anymore. I try to look at people as individuals and, and to take their arguments into account and dismiss all of the bullshit that you hear about them. And it's been a really, um, you know, it's been great. It's been a very like weirdly eye opening experience. Um, and I, one that I think a lot of like canceled people kind of have. Uh, you know, I, we don't have a lot of people in this podcast. I don't think that we have talked about this issue. We had Jesse on and obviously you, but about trans issues. Mm-hmm. Here's something I don't really understand. And hopefully Smart. you can enlighten me on this. Don't get into um, it. Uh, well, that's, well, <laughs> no, this he's is getting actually, ready to ask the question. No, no, no this, this is, is actually part of the question yeah. is that the, the response from a certain activist part of the trans community is so vociferous. And unlike anything I've ever seen, 
And if you were to ask me, and I think this is probably true of a lot of people, if you ask me what group, you know, sort of interest group when it comes to identity is the one that you don't want to get on the wrong side of these days. And that is absolutely, it is undeniably true. And I've seen this since. Why is that? What is it specifically about trans issues that create such a binary in these views that if you're not exactly on our side, you're going to get stickers on a, on a, you know, telephone pole in Seattle that call you a transphobe? Dude, I don't know. I mean, I could speculate, but it would involve some like uh, armchair psychology that I'm not qualified to do. Um, but We're not you're qualified right. for any of this stuff. Oh, <laughs> hilarious. That's a really good point. He's super hilarious. <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about this issue. You have crazy online activists for sure. There's also a larger contingent of like totally sane, sensible trans people who are not trying to get people canceled or whatever. Our most recent episode of our podcast, Jesse interviews a trans clinician who works with with youth and she's great. She's incredibly sensible and it was just very refreshing to listen to this sane person after sort of being in the depths of like stupid culture wars and seeing all of this shit online. Mm. Um, but what I'm more interested in is what has happened on a more institutional level. You have groups like the ACLU, specifically under... G. Strangio, this lawyer for the ACLU, making bizarre arguments online about how sex isn't real, or maybe I'm bastardizing this, but has uh, has made some like pretty like strange arguments online. And also, the ACLU is like, you know, their values are coming into conflict with each other, and I'm interested mm. in that. And so, yeah. to me, that's a that's sort of a, a bigger deal than uh than like the insanity of the online shit, which is to be crazy insane. Yeah. Yeah. It, it actually feels like they, the ACLU is completely surrendered with respect to those no, values. Not the same At this point, anymore, they're, no. they are not interested in the defense of sort of free speech writ large. I think it, it, it depends on where you are. There's National ACLU, which like sure, I've talked to sure. people within the organization, and I, I do think there is a the same split that Barry wrote about in the New York Times, this generational divide. I saw that at The Stranger. I, uh-huh. I mean, if there's anybody over 40, Moynihan, maybe it would exist. Uh, uh, well, why would you – Why would you? that's uh, – <laughs> is that ableist or hijist? I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, ist. Yeah, it's yeah. an ist, but then you should be ashamed yes. of yourself. She at least yeah. points you at the divide. And by the way, Matt is probably older than me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, well, on, I'm on the older side of the divide. I'm just, uh, just identifying as a boomer. Right. Has the living – hard living has really taken a toll on my face. But, but the thing about the divide is that only people on one side of the divide are actually willing to be vocal in public right. and take ownership of the perspectives that they express, specifically the outrage that they feel right. and the contempt that they have for the other side. The most you might get out of the oldsters, the, the rest of us, <laughs> is like quiet complaints off the record to someone mm-hmm. about how uncomfortable they feel and how they're worried about being canceled. These issues are sufficiently hot that even on a podcast like this, I worry about mentioning a question that I'm pretty sure I asked to Jesse the last time we talked to him on the podcast and this kind of issue came up. And I'm pretty sure it involved body integrity disorder. And if you want to, you can go back and find that podcast and listen to it. If you're worried about it, why are you telling people I'm, where well, I'm trying to be brave and call bullshit here? This is about living you're your principles. You're calling bullshit on yourself. <laughs> well, I'm calling bullshit on the culture that would go after one for asking a totally reasonable question about a really complicated issue, which is which is really the point that I want to make here because I'm, I'm saying a number of things and I think they're all quite good. There, there's a lot of gems here, people. Oh, but, 
the, <laughs> but the bottom line is that these are genuinely complicated issues about gender and gender identity and about puberty and about the kind of pharmaceuticals or treatment that might be prescribed to someone who is having gender identity questions or issues or a crisis, however the hell you want to describe it. And it's not enough, apparently, to be compassionate towards people and to be concerned about these issues in a meaningful way. You have to be completely on board with a particular perspective on how to address these issues. And that just strikes me as completely absurd. You know, and it, I think we have to stop laying down for people when it comes to circumstances like this. You know, it's I, I think this is the narcissism of small differences, right? You can agree with somebody on 95% of something, and then the 5% of that issue is going to drive you to fucking blows. One of the complaints against Mike Pesca was that he was flippant about non-binary pronouns. And this was on an episode that he did a couple years ago. And he, I went back and I listened to the episode and he wasn't flippant about non-binary pronouns at all. What he said was like, the term they is a bad one to choose because they already has a very specific meaning and it's difficult to change people's perceptions of that meaning. Um, but he said something that I like stopped in my tracks and I wrote it down. He said, um, why do progressives make it so hard to join them? And he was right. If you want to have a big, successful coalition, the way to do it is to not alienate people for fucking wrong think or slight disagreement or whatever. But for some reason, my side of the fucking spectrum and activists I in some ways agree with can't seem to see that and just keep alienating people and having these purity tests and making the coalition smaller and smaller and fucking smaller. But it works. That's the problem. Yeah. And that's the thing. The, the thing that worries me about this is that, you know, in the past, this type of argumentation, if one could be so generous to call it argumentation, is a sign that you're losing, right? If you are actually, you know, again, to the, the kind of point of not printing things, I mean, you don't not print Solzhenitsyn because you're ready to have a debate with him. It's like you'd rather not have to confront those ideas. It's the best thing is you have the power to actually squelch them. Once a certain group of activists, and I don't engage in this issue, not because I'm afraid of it, it's just not something that's really interested me over time. And I mean, I'm, I'm alarmed by a lot of it, but I'm not interested in the sort of, I don't know anything about the overall science of it. But, you know, the, the thing is, when you have this kind of way of argumentation that really shows people up that makes people throw I mean even in your first piece you mentioned at the stranger I'm sure that you didn't even realize that you were subconsciously clarifying everything making sure people did realize that you're a good person not a bad person and right. that really is a bad instinct when you're writing obviously yeah. and it's we all have that more and mm. more now Privileged and it's incredibly incredibly successful <laughs> way of doing it to to make people feel like if they say the wrong thing even in the wrong way I mean what's wrong with saying that you know these types of pronouns are silly. I mean, there's probably an argument to be had for that. I mean, I don't think about it very much. I don't know what it is. But if there is one, fine. I mean, we say like, well, he made that argument. He should go. No, that's the wrong way of thinking. If he made that argument, it should be good. Tell me if it's a bad argument and then we can have a conversation. If he's consistently making bad arguments, maybe you shouldn't beat your publication or any publication. But that's not the argument that anyone's having. It's just getting rid of people. You know, and that's what's so, so, so stressful yeah. to me. Maybe another opportunity to to suggest the joke that I might have mentioned about oh. they them pronouns and runaway slaves and oh. how yeah, they I might be gonna, bad because they cat. bring one they make one think about runaway slaves. What? But what? Yeah, I just what? I won't. Right. I won't say the joke. I'm just mentioning the parameters okay. of the joke 
and yeah. allowing people to use their imagination. I never thought I'd be the one who canceled yeah. you. But <laughs> you know, I can't be canceled. Things, 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 I can't be canceled. Oh, I refuse. That's the place to be. It is possible yeah. to refuse to be canceled. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have a plan. Please. I'm yeah. going to say like, hey, have you guys seen the C. Thomas Howell movie Soul Man? Yeah. Yeah. That's Camille. <laughs> Camille is actually a white kid. From, from if, the- if I get canceled, it only gets worse. Believe me. Moynihan, would you inevitably get fired from Vice? I really hope you don't sign an NDA. I um, I, my mic seems to it just went too soon. I don't know what's happened to it. Too soon. I'm jiggling the, the the cable. I can't seem to my headphones are too. Our is that, is that Katie? Who who is that? It looks like in the middle. There's a who's in the middle? The, the lesbian uh, uh, lady. Yeah. Okay. Is that oh, Jesse? Katie. Jesse on the thing. Hey, there's some Ooh. rules here, Katie. There are some rules. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll hang around <laughs> after we roll the credits for, for a second. This was <laughs> the fifth column podcast. We had a good run. Oh, it was a great and, run. Um, <laughs> Trust well, me, I'm going to well, need this pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> but before we, before we punch out completely, I do want to commend to people this Wall Street Journal column, the title of which, Derek Chauvin Trial in George Floyd's death centers on police tactic that is hard to prosecute. I do suspect we will be talking about this trial as it proceeds, and there's plenty of stuff to keep track of. But the the actual complexity of this case versus the expectations that people have for a slam dunk prosecution for what has been described by virtually everyone as a quote unquote murder is probably going to surprise a lot of people. And the outcome of the entire situation is far from clear. Tony Tempa, a quote unquote white man in Dallas whose family lost a case that is very, very similar to the Floyd case some weeks after George Floyd was killed is is probably instructive of just the sort of uphill battle that prosecutors are going to be facing in this circumstance because most of the time cases like this get thrown out. And the the big question here isn't whether or not there's systemic racism. That's not what this trial is about. The trial is about whether or not this was a lawful tactic for this police officer to be using and whether or not in this particular case, the officer used it in a way that should have been expected to result in George Floyd's death. And if there are any sort of underlying conditions that contributed to his death, all of those things complicate the circumstance. If we're in a place collectively as a result of the the racial retrogression in this country, I'm sure as shit not going to call it any sort of revolution or reckoning because it's none of those things. If we're in a place where we can't deal with the complex reality of circumstances, only fairy tales about what we imagine happened, then it's going to be hard for a lot of people to digest what's coming down the pike. I think that's true. However, the case turns out. I think people will be quite surprised the, and I'm just guessing this and that, that if prosecution will probably leave out a lot of the racial element of this because yeah. You know, it's hard for people to to comprehend, but we don't really have anything on that. And they have yeah. to go with evidence. And you saw that with Mark Furman in the OJ trial where you actually had audio of him using racial slurs. Over which he and tried over to and over Yeah, over and over. I was like, oh, I was just writing a script with this person. Um, and, and, you know, typically you sift through somebody's past and you come up with at least something. We did that with Darren Wilson 
with the Michael Brown case. Nothing that I know of, and I could be wrong about this, has come up with Derek Chauvin. So it would be hard, I'm guessing, for the prosecution to actually use the angle, which is the entire angle of the discussion since George Floyd's death, which will be interesting to, to see if that if that even comes up. Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap, I want to get uh, a commitment from Katie. Seattle is one of the five, four or so. Most annoying. <laughs> I mean, no, it's way higher than that, dude. Yeah. Um, uh, places when we ask Fifth Calm listeners, like, where should oh, we yeah. have a thing? Yeah. yeah. Like, Seattle's a thing. So will you commit to the thing if we do Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. I know a bunch of uh, – some libertarians reached out to me when I was uh, when I was at my, my low point at The Stranger, and I made friends with them, and they're all Fifth Calm listeners. Oh, great. great. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we do over the they're, uh, they're patrons. They're patrons. You, you call your <gasps> really? Huh. I'm not yeah. shocked by that either. Yeah, yeah. I'll, tell you, good, I'll tell you their names off, uh, off mic. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Get them, yeah. We want to keep, fired. we want to give people their privacy. And yeah. you mm-hmm. too, fine listener, could become a patron of this fine podcast at Thank any you. financial level that you think appropriate, but anything less than $50 per month just is embarrassing. Savagery and sadness. Why are you embarrassing yourself? That's right. Honestly, I just, you thought of like, Five, not good just, enough. You just embarrassed yourself. Just Never fly coach. That. Although we're grateful for all of you. And by the way, do that for for uh, Katie and uh, the other guy there's uh, podcast. Yeah, only <laughs> after you've done Junior. it for us. Uh, and the reason I say that is I just saw her <laughs> on video and she appeared to be drinking an RC cola. So I think <laughs> she needs this to is have a, a little extra. What is this that? Is a Rainier? A Rainier? Oh, fuck yes. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a beer. Like I, oh, I know Olympia. <laughs> I don't know. Is Rainier yeah. a beer? Yeah, Rainier. Yeah, it's it's a it's like a it's like probably owned by Budweiser. Oh, okay. No, no but it's, 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 <laughs> all right. I thought you were drinking RC Cola. Now I what? have even less respect for you. Does that does that does that exist though? I don't know. I thought you found it because you were so poor yeah. after Shasta. being canceled. <laughs> drinking Shasta. Right here, it's cheaper than RC Cola. Oh, all right. Yeah, right I mean, it might be now. Um. Also, yeah. hey, Matt, did you huh? did you see the Capitol building when you were in DC? That There's like still one. like fucking fencing surrounding it. Yeah, forever. There's still guardsmen. Yeah, outside of the building. And there are reports this week that the Capitol Police are saying, yeah, I mean, it would be a great idea if we had some permanent fucking fencing and on call, like national troops that we could call in at any point in time to help quell rebellion. That's not good. Mm. It's bad. It's perhaps the best thing you could say about it is that it's truth in advertising. But like, I don't like that truth. I don't like that. Advertising yeah. either. Uh, no, it's it's fucked up. Like DC is is a terrible, terrible place right now. Terrible. Yeah. It, no, it feels. It felt awful, and I was already kind of miserable. But then when I just had a chance encounter, like driving past the building on my way back to the hotel, and and seeing that that armed contingent securing the building, keeping it safe from no one. Um, I, I just like was beside myself. I mean, prior to that, if you've never visited DC, you could just like run on the lawn and go right up to the steps of the building and take friggin' pictures and crap. And that's I mean, prior to nine eleven. You know, nine eleven created like a, a a big exterior perimeter. But even that, like, I used to every time I'd go, you know, multiple times, multiple times a year, go to DC and go into the Cannon Office Building or yeah. wherever. And Longworth, you just walk in and you have to go through the thing, but there was nothing outside. There was the, you yeah. know, one metal detector on the inside. But what's really interesting is that I don't think you get this for a lot of other things in the past. You didn't, but it seems that every time there's some kind of dubious threat online, they release it. 
And I don't know if it's to justify their presence, but I've seen this a lot recently is that we have chatter that there's going to be an invasion of the Capitol or there's going to be chatter that there's going to be a demonstration here, that it's going to be armed full of things and they never materialize. And you can't do the post 9-11 thing that, say, that says, you know, oh, it didn't materialize because they, they, you know, broke up the ISIS plot or something. So more yeah. and more of this, people are going to start, you know, becoming increasingly skeptical of, of whether this stuff's actually necessary. So, I want them yeah. to start to go, to go back to the, the color system. Do you remember that? After oh, yeah. 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 Like the purple days. Yeah. That yeah, means there's totally. been like a lot of posts on 4chan. <laughs> did, did they formally? Did they formally yeah. like sunset that thing? Is that what happened? With the the terror terror it can, you know what? It could still be happening, but now it's a rainbow yeah. flag. Saudi, <laughs> Saudi 4chan. <laughs> oh my god! Well, all right. Whatever. Whatever. Happy New Year. Happy whatever. What? Well, yeah. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. I, yes. I appreciate you, you spending time with us. If if you've enjoyed Katie's contribution to the podcast today, you should be listening to the Blocked Unreported podcast. And yes, supporting it. Uh, that is that is our our is it brother sister or mm-hmm. is it a non binary mm-hmm. um, sibling? A they thing? Yeah, yeah. the they the they, the they podcast. Sexual. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thing. we have an intimate yeah. relationship with that other podcast, and there's there should be no judgment about that. There's like, a lot of We'll be doing something uh, approximating a joint event when we come to mm. uh, come to Seattle, just because. Sounds sexy. There's one host of that podcast, and she's on our podcast right now. That's right. It yeah. is not yeah. the yeah. other guy who's tall, and I can't remember his name. Yeah. Who? We just helps yeah. John. He just helps uh, John Segal. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. John Segal. Yeah. Gosh. The only problem I All have right. with him, an enormous transphobe. Okay. <laughs> the worst. The worst. Huge. See you Huge. guys later. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.